Welcome to Next Level Greatness, the podcast. Today, I have a beautiful soul and special guest, Tracy Alexander. I had invited Tracy, who is a journalist. I just got goosebumps by profession or by training. And she turned into a Vedic meditation teacher who now lives in Israel. As of today, she's in Mexico, but she's going back to Israel tomorrow. And I had originally invited you to speak about Vedic meditation. And then the full-blown war broke out. And before I actually have you speak, I want to say one thing. You posted something the other day that said, what can I do? I'm just one person, said 8 billion people. So with that, I welcome you and I welcome your voice to my podcast. Thank you so much, Barbie. It's such an honor. And we were saying how we've never actually met yet. I feel like I know you, which is what the power is. Social media, we can use it really to form really deep connections to find ways towards each other. And we can really use it as a powerful platform to raise our consciousness if we choose to. And I think it's a very powerful tool. And I was saying the other day that I feel that like we're given licenses to drive and licenses in America and Australia, we don't have people aren't allowed to carry arms, but in, in the United States, you need to have a license to carry. And yet we're given this powerful technology. And I was saying that it can become very violent and very dangerous. And it's mm -hmm. almost as if we need a license to be able to use this. But I've just loved how we have managed to find this really deep connection through social media, having never met, and now have the opportunity to go deeper. I love that. And I love that there's a siren in your background. As we're speaking, I find social media, I must have missed that post, but it's such a powerful comment that yes, and this is precisely why I wanted to have you on. If you don't already follow Tracy, I would love for you to follow her because although we're not going to focus on the intricacies of the war, I love how as a journalist, because I think you'll always be a journalist, whether you're doing it actively or not, you are covering it in such a compassionate and educated way that I love to follow you. And I feel like people are covering, quote unquote, covering influencers are covering the war with such a limited perspective. And, and you have such a deep knowledge and, and knowing of the history that you're covering it in a way that I think can benefit humanity and people's understanding. Okay, let's start with your story, actually. What led you, I guess, to become a journalist and then you were a journalist and then to become a Vedic meditation teacher and then to move to Israel. What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I want all the details. I think that you could probably relate. I think anybody listening could relate that there's always a through line in, in our life. We just change the roles. We change the hats that we wear, but we're still generating those same values through what we're doing. And so much of it comes from the beliefs that we pick up as children, the way that we're conditioned, and then this song of our heart, right? And like you said, I'll always be a journalist, although I don't work as a journalist in that same capacity. I used to be telling stories about the outside world. Now I'm just telling stories about the inside world, right? And what is the through line here? What I've seen as consistent throughout my life has been through the power of storytelling to better understand ourselves. And my mission, even though it might not have had this as the heading, has been to help us heal because that's what I needed. And the reason that I created this switch from journalism into meditation was because I identified that if we want a happy world, we need more happy people. And the requirement for that is that we heal our wounds and we need to take personal responsibility for our lives and our role and our responsibility here on earth is to heal and return to love our truest essence. This starts then with loving ourselves because we can only love or know another to the extent that we love or know ourselves, right? So this was my journey <clears throat> to here. So I learned Vedic meditation long before I was a journalist. So 14 years ago, 
And the reason I learned Vedic meditation was because I hated myself, right? Mm -hmm. And I really can use such strong language. It was how it felt to be me. And this was due to stories that I'd taken on as a child because when I was just turning 10, my dad became a brain damaged quadriplegic lock, locked into his body overnight. And this kind of shook up my whole world. I was living in a very white picket fence reality with a beautiful family and in the suburbs of Sydney, Australia, and had it all. And then in an instant, my life got turned upside down and this completely rocked my world. And you start grasping through the consciousness state of a child to try and make sense of all of this. And what is my role? And how do I fix this? And how do I make it better? And what do I need to do? Right. And so being the eldest child, I decided, oh, well, what happens when somebody loses a parent? I'd never seen this before in my context. So I decided what that meant was I needed to be the dad. I needed to be the dad for my siblings, I needed to be that strong masculine figure for my mother, and I needed to fix this, right? I needed to change this. The power was in my hands and I started to make deals with God. I was a swimmer at the time and so I would swim all of my races for my dad because he used to take me to swimming lessons. And if I came forth in the race, I would decide I failed him, I'm a failure and it's my fault that he's not getting better. And when he couldn't get better and when God wouldn't help me, I decided there's no God and I'm bad. And these were the kind of stories that I started to tell myself. And so these created these very kind of dangerous neural pathways that I was practicing over and over. And this became the lens through which I saw myself and I saw the world and the world was unsafe because there wasn't anyone looking after us. All of these kinds of things, right? Which makes complete sense, right? That's how a child may come to see this stuff. But what happens is when we don't, when we aren't able to see the stories that we're telling ourselves, these govern the way we see the world and the way that we show up in the world. And so I was moving through life with a very low sense of self, a low self-esteem. And also we didn't know much back then about the nervous system. We know so much about it now, thankfully. And so I was put in therapy to help me and all of these kinds of things, which were really just reinforcing these stories. And little did anybody know at the time that really what had happened was due to that shock, my body had experienced a trauma. What is trauma? Too much, too fast. Yeah. So I have a question. What was the problem that they were perceiving when you said that you were put, and I can relate to so much. I don't know how much you know about my story, but I'm like, oh my goodness, this is me, but different details. What was the reason that they got you into therapy? What did they perceive as the issue? If we want to go quite deep, a little bit of a trigger warning, a mental health trigger warming, warning, because I will talk about self-harm. I was hurting myself because this was my way of redirecting the pain. And it was part of this way of almost trying to feel again, to feel alive. And it was a pain I could control. It was also a form of self-punishment and inability to be with these big emotions. I didn't know how to process the emotions because I was the dad, right? Dads are tough and strong. So I pushed everything down. And so I didn't actually learn how to emotionally process. And so the emotions became too big for me. And then what I would do is based on the fact that I couldn't regulate, I would end up like cutting myself and there was a few suicide attempts. So that's why I was put in therapy. And the story, it was, it's quite intense. So I won't go yeah, into no, that. But this is so helpful already because from the outside, you are happy. You are a joyful human being. And one of the reasons, the main reason probably, I didn't even know at the time, but the reason I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today is because in light of the tragedy that is happening on a, like a goosebumps on a global level, you are repeating this message that it is essential for us to be grounded in joy. I, I embody the possibilities for us because I'm no longer stuck in my pain due to the determination that I had to create a different story for myself. It got to the point, it was after a suicide attempt that I opened my eyes in the, in the hospital and I saw my mum looking over the hospital cot and we were being moved from, and I was young, right? I was in the children's ward. Okay, so I was being taken from intensive care to the children's ward and I just looked at her face and I just thought, 
what are you doing? You have been trying to protect your mother and look what's happened to you. You're doing the complete opposite, get it together. And this was that light that I'm so grateful came on. And that's when I was like, enough. And it was almost like quitting a drug, right? Because what we do, what we practice, we get good at. So I was really good at going down the path of darkness. I was really good at shaming myself. I was really good at hating myself. I was really good at punishing myself, right? But you have to break that circuit, right? I did that really through willpower at the beginning, through a mission bigger than me, right? Because I didn't very much care about me. It mattered about, to me more about my family. So that was the driving force to get better for them, if not for you, for them. But at the time, I was trying all of these trying all of these things, Barbie, I know you understand, like, I was doing the therapy and I was doing going to the Buddhist monasteries and chanting sweet songs. And I was mala beating and mindfulness and focusing on the breath and doing all these things. And yes, they gave me some momentary relief, but they weren't really changing anything in a meaningful way, in a sustainable way. They weren't actually shifting the machinery, the architecture, the hardware that was operating the software. And I was actually in LA at the time. And again, talking about my path, I was, I'd studied cognitive psychology at university, but really I felt I was more of an artist and I was now studying acting in this kind of way of, I thought an actor really knows themselves. In order to be an actor, you have to really know yourself. You have to understand yourself. And it was this kind of misguided pathway to trying to understand myself. And so I was in LA doing acting classes and a friend said to me, will I come with her to an intro talk about Vedic meditation? And I was just like, I'll try all the things. Sure, I'll, I'm doing the landmark forum and some other shmorum and sure, I'll come. What about this Vedic meditation? <laughs> oh let's yes. And so let's go. And I was 24 at this point and I had a bit of savings left for this trip. And I just thought, you know what? This guy talked about peace and he talked about expanded consciousness and whatever. Anyone that was offering me peace, I'll put all of my pennies towards that. And I put the rest of my savings into this course and I dove in for this first meditation. And although Vedic meditation is not about the experience of meditation, it is about how your life changes outside of meditation. My first experience with this technique was, oh, this mm. is what it's supposed to feel like. This is what I understood when they talked about peace and bliss and quieting your mind this is the closest I've ever come to experiencing that. And then shortly after he told me to open my eyes and I said, how was that? And I said, yeah, wow, amazing. And I described my experience and he just smiled sweetly like good and wasn't really moved. He probably sees this all the time yeah. and also knew that what I was describing, it wasn't even it. And then I thought, okay, great. That was like a nice five minute meditation. Now what? And he said, oh no, no that was actually 20 minutes. So what do you mean? How? And I looked at the clock and 20 minutes had passed. And this is when he described to me what transcendence was. When we transcend, we move beyond thought and we don't experience time passing in the same way as we would if we were up at the surface of our mind with all of that active thinking. And wow, I was intrigued and I was charmed and it was incredible, right? And so this was my introduction to Vedic meditation. And the reason that Vedic meditation was became the game changer for me is because it works on the nervous system. When we practice this technique, it turns the stress response off. So all of that hypervigilance, the inability to sleep, all of that overthinking, all of that anxiousness, all of that restlessness, all of that striving, all of that mania, it's due to a dysregulated nervous system. In my case, it was, right? And what happens is not only when you turn the stress response off, does the body get the opportunity to now dive deep into the parasympathetic nervous system, which is our rest and relax part of our nervous system, the opposite to the sympathetic, which is our fight and flight aspect of our nervous system. When the body moves deep into the parasympathetic nervous system, and in this style of meditation, the body is resting at a state that is two to five times deeper than sleep, it is given the opportunity to heal. The body knows what it's doing. Right, you create the conditions, it knows what it's doing. You don't need to do it, it happens for you. And so you begin to remove stress. You chip away not only, you not, not only remove the stress of the day, but you begin chipping away at the backlog of stress from the past. And you are training your nervous system to go in the opposite direction. What does it mean 
to be able to have a de-excited state while there is an experience happening outside of you because you can do this meditation technique anywhere you can do this in the middle of times square it doesn't matter and you can still detect your depth so that's just vedic meditation in a nutshell but i didn't stick to the practice to begin with barbie because <laughs> that's what many of us do right i don't want to give this like illusion that i learned the technique and that was it and my life was better forever i started and i was practicing it and what happens as a result of practicing this technique is that you start healing, you start removing a lot of the junk that's inside of there. And the experience can, for someone like me who had a very um, tightly wound nervous system, can be quite active. And so after a while, I stopped meditating. At this point, I was still really searching for the thing outside of me, the job I was going to do that was going to answer all of my questions, my purpose, the thing that was going to make me meaningful, the thing that was going to get me public acclamation so the world could tell me I'm good. Right? Are, we sisters? Are we sisters over here? This is wild. Yeah, yeah. It's a common story. And at the time when I was in LA, I, I became friends with a man by the name of Bennett Miller. He is the director of Capote, Moneyball. You may have heard of these films. But his breakout film was a documentary and he showed me his documentary and I thought, that's it. That's what I want to do. I want to make documentaries. I want to tell tell stories about people, but I don't want to be the story. I don't want to be the actor. I want to tell stories about the world so that we can better reflect on ourselves as a humanity. So here's like still the through line, right? So this though was still part of my desire to take the pain away how do i take the pain away let's make us be better let's make you be better because it was my pain from seeing us in pain as a humanity why is the world so bad yeah let's hark back to that story of why do bad things happen to good people when my dad got sick right that same story but this protest right this inner protest for us to be better was it projection of my pain, not knowing how to be with it, how to transmute it, how to see it as the pathway. And it hurt me to see how far away we've gotten from knowing our truest selves, our essence of being love, because that's what I was wanting. And so I chose journalism and long story short, I ended up moving out of documentaries into the news and I was a reporter for our equivalent of a breakfast show in the States, like the Today Show, is yeah, yeah. Our, it was called the Today Show. And here I was and I had all the things. I was at the, the Channel 9 and it was like the cool job and all the glitz and the glam and the, oh my gosh, I have absolutely everything. But deep down, I was still wildly insecure and felt empty inside and kept coming back to, what's the point? Yeah. Like, why are we doing all of this? I don't get it. And that was when my mum said to me, not knowing anything about my meditation practice, Tracy, why don't you go back to your meditation practice? Wow. And at that point, I had run the experiment enough times. I had looked to the outside. I had done all the outside things. I had all the outside things. I was living with the I'll be happy when syndrome. Once I get that and once I get there and planning my life and once I get that, let's try another experiment. And that's when I deeply committed to my practice mm -hmm. twice a day every day and that's when my life started to change the first benefits I started to notice was actually professionally my I started getting so much better at my job because of the capacity that it gives your brain to be able to handle multiple streams of information at once and meet demand whilst remaining calm etc etc and that's when this realignment started to happen of there's more than this this doesn't feel helpful. These stories, if somebody doesn't know about this car crash in Adelaide, what difference does that make to the world? I want to tell important stories. And at the time I went on a holiday with my friend to Berlin and Poland. We went for his 30th to Berlin. We partied in Berlin and then he and I went and traveled through different concentration camps in Poland. He's not Jewish, but he's gay. And he had his own connection to the story of the Holocaust. And we went together and we learnt of all of the stories up close. Mm. And I was so deeply moved. How can we, how do we get here as a humanity? Mm. How is this possible, right? And it, I felt these stories matter. 
These are stories we need to know. These are the stories that if we don't look at them, we will repeat them, which gives me chills to look at what the context of us now. And that's when I decided, okay, I'm moving away. I'm going to London. I'm going to work for Africa Today or something like this, right? And my best friend who lived in Israel said to me, "Um, no, no, don't go to London, come to Israel. And I was like, yeah, what am I going to do like in Israel? But thanks. The next minute I'm in a hairdresser and I get this phone call from this weird number. "Eh, Listen, eh, Tracy, eh, when can you get here? (laughs) I'm like, who is this? What is this? And my friend had sent my showreel to this network in Israel and they asked me to come. Wow. Um, yeah. And again, it was like, we are not in Kansas anymore. When I did the screen test, they said to me, okay, Tracy, we're just cutting to some breaking news. There's been a light plane crash into the Giza pyramids near Cairo. Charlie Cohen is on the ground. What can you tell us? And I'm like, a light plane crash? And I'm coming from Australia. And I'm thinking, like a drunk pilot? I don't know. Did he run out of fuel? And then like, it hits me. Oh, this is a terrorist attack. I'm like, wow, this landscape is just so far from what even enters into my consciousness as what are the possible scenarios we're reporting on here. Mm-hmm. So I moved to Israel and was now covering the Middle East conflict. And um, it was an international news channel broadcast in English, French and Arabic. And I learned very quickly why journalists far more intelligent than I that had come before me had really struggled to present the very complex reality of this region to the broader public because it is a very specific context and like we've talked about the history is so deep I mean it takes you back depending on what line of story you want to go down to the Bible to but even if we want to just look at modern history the karma that exists in this region, the cause and effect, it's so twisted. And this was part of my mission. I felt if we can understand what's going on here, if we could cultivate peace in the Middle East, we have a chance of experiencing peace around the world. It felt like this was the thorn in the world side. And what we're seeing now is very much that because look at the reaction, the global reaction to this war. Why this war? When there are so many conflicts, so many wars, why is there such outrage when it comes to this part of the world? And it is highlighting something to us. It is highlighting what we need to see. And I knew that on a level, right? But then through working in the news and then becoming more and more brokenhearted, having done this inner work now, because on the side, I was really doing a lot of personal healing, diving deeper into Vedic wisdom, doing a lot of personal transmutation of my wounds. And I knew what was possible. I know what happens to me when I show up as a version of me that is stressed and in pain and full of shame, right? I know what happens when I'm carrying my past like this heavy backpack of rocks, right? And I know what happens when I put it down and can come from this place of the truth of who I am today, Mm. holding compassion for all of those aspects, coming from my highest, choosing to focus on what is possible. And what we're doing in the news is we're magnifying pain. And I knew that this wasn't the full story. This isn't the full story of our life. This is just a microcosm that we're showing through the lens of drama. And what happens when we get stressed? One of the stress hormones, adrenaline, shoots up in our bodies. What is the cause, the effect of adrenaline on our body? It creates tunnel vision, right? It shuts off our perspective. So our pupils dilate to allow more light in so that we can see the threat. And our peripheral vision is cut off so that we can be hyper-focused on the threat. So that is why when somebody is stressed, that's why they're going on and on about the problem. And we tell them, calm down and get some perspective. Why do we tell them to calm down and get some perspective? Because intuitively we know when we're stressed, we cannot, we can't see, we can't come into our higher order thinking and our creativity and our problem solving skills, right? So I knew what was possible because I'd done it for myself. And what we see in the news is just a manifestation of how we're showing up as individuals. The collective is just a collection of individuals. So rather than pointing at the pain and pointing at the problem and saying the world this is what I had brought me into journalism in the first place, the world needs to be fixed so I can feel better. I was like, no, 
I need to feel better. I need to be an embodiment of that. I need to be coming from my highest and I need to help people feel like they can do that for themselves because that's how we expand the sphere of influence of empowerment, the ability to be able to have these open conversations, to be able to problem solve and focus on where we want to go, to recognize that we don't want to be stuck in the destruction operator and the maintenance operator of nature, but to move into the creation operator, right? And so as I changed, the news no longer fit. It was no longer in alignment. And I started to not be able to reconcile what I was doing with how I felt inside. And journalism is not a job you do for the paycheck. It's not a job you do for the glory. You do it because you think it matters. And when you no longer feel like it's helping, then why would you do it? So after a long rounding retreat, which is a, a deep healing technique we use in Vedic meditation that I did in Bali, I came back into a newsroom and I felt like an alien in there. And I was like, there ain't no amount of money that you could pay me to stay here one more day. And that's when I left and said, not this, it's not, I don't know what, but not that. It's something that is allowing us to move in the direction that we want to go. And it starts on an individual level. Mm-hmm. So that's where I left the news, started on a deep healing journey in earnest, started healing my childhood wounds, trained to become a Vedic meditation teacher and bring it to Israel because there is no Vedic meditation teacher there to help us come out of stress, mm. move out of survival and move into a space of, of thriving and being able to come at life from a place of, of capacity. Yeah, so yeah, that's a really long story, but that's how I find myself now going back to Israel tomorrow to bring this technique to these Israelis that are now, they need it more than ever. We all need it more than ever. Than ever. Yeah. It's different this time. I was talking to my mother-in-law today who is in her seventies and um, she doesn't have a shelter to go to when the alarms sound. And she was saying what it feels like. We're used to this. She's been going through this and her mother was a a Holocaust survivor. Mm -hmm. And so she's, used to this but it's different she says too because now it's like she's resting but she knows that the alarm is coming again it's a matter of minutes it's just a matter of hours and so can you I mean of course you can imagine I can imagine what that does to the body that you are in fact waiting for the shoe to drop and then to see how the world it feels like this, that we're just standing by watching the horrors. I just, I I can only imagine the stress on the body for that. So I have two questions for you. So I am curious to know what your plan, and I know that plans change and they're going to grow and evolve and all of that is, but what your plan for now is when you go back so that you can help more Israelis. But then also the second question is, For someone like the listener, for someone like myself, I feel utterly helpless. Mm -hmm. When I was in high school learning about the Holocaust and in my 20s, I guess in college, I was, I remember thinking like, how did people stand by and allow this to happen? And now here I am, 20, what are we, 2023, almost 2024, and I feel like I'm one of those people. And yet our family is implicated. My husband's lineage, the extermination of a race is at stake, and I feel like I'm running my business and just living my life, and I feel helpless, and I don't know what or how to do it. So what is... I'm yeah. curious about your thoughts on that. Well, yeah. So the the answer to your the first part is the same as the answer to the second part. The first I think I'd like to say first of all is that you are doing what you need to do. First of all, you're having this kind of a conversation. You're having real conversations. Just because you're not maybe posting things on social media doesn't mean you're not having these conversations, right? So that's the first. That's the first. The second is when you said, "How do I plan on helping people when I go back to Israel?" The thing that came to me to say was that this is not only about helping people in Israel. Everybody is in a state of fight, flee, freeze, and fawn. And the fawn response is, I think, one of the lesser known stress responses. So the fawn response is 
that feeling of that hopelessness that you know what just take it you want to take it yeah there's nothing i can really do anymore that's when we move into that self-abandonment right and a lot of people are in that state of overwhelm and there's just this is nothing i can do it's all too much for me right that's actually a stress response yeah and that freeze there's a lot of functional freeze which is it looks like we're doing things right but we're like walking around in circles like not able to really make decisive decisions etc And then there are other people that are fighting (laughs) and other people that are retreating, freezing. And these are all stress responses. So all of us are affected by this war. So for example, one of the things that I'm doing is I'm running a charity course in Manchester. So I'm going to Manchester in January and a portion of their course fee is going to subsidize the course fees for those who have been affected by the war in Israel. Because the people in Manchester are feeling affected by it. They're also having a stress response to this war. And I just got off the phone a few hours ago with a guy who's joining the course in Israel. And he said to me, and while we were on the phone, there was a siren that went off. And he said to me, I feel like learning meditation is my way of helping. He said, I have friends who are volunteering. I have friends who are in the army. And he said, for me, what feels the most relevant is making sure that I have fortified that strength and that light inside of me so that I can be in the highest frequency that I can be in order to be of support and of value. It is not of service to anyone if you are curling in a ball in the stress response. There's nothing wrong with running your business and showing up and serving people and helping people feel strong and empowered because that's what you're doing in your work, Bobby. Like you're helping people. Yes. And may I say something? So actually I said that because I actually do sometimes feel very helpless. Yesterday I felt helpless, but when I was calm, when I wasn't stressed out about, because we were actually talking about my husband's family and the war. And so I, I did, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm just watching this unfold and I feel helpless. And then to see what's happening, I think it's happening in the UK as well, in American universities, seeing these kids like pro Hamas. I mean, it's the most insane thing. And what I told myself and what I realized was that what I am a light in the world and I see you're a light in the world And one of my missions or my mission is for women to come back to their sacred wisdom, to decondition, to get rid of the layers of conditioning so that they can figure out what it is that they actually feel and so that they can figure out what they actually think themselves. And so in doing that, I'm empowering other women and and absolutely by having you on. That's why I've been so excited for you to come on. So you're right, but it just feels like there's some... Uh, it's just not enough, but I guess. Yeah, I totally understand that because it is enormous. It is really enormous what we're seeing and it's heartbreaking everywhere we look. War is horrible, right? Mm -hmm. It really is horrible. And the images that we're seeing are horrible, right? And with social media, we have this front row seat to this, the horror that in World War II, people didn't see in real time, right? And we're being influenced by these images and it's rousing this anger in us, right? And then that anger is causing us to behave from very low grade states. And that's part of what is so dangerous about this particular war is that it's one of those things haters gonna hate. (laughs) And what we're seeing is that there is this latent desire to let our anger out on someone else, to blame someone else for our anger and our shame and these parts of ourselves that we haven't healed and reconciled inside of ourselves. And what we tend to see repeating is that the Jews become that outlet, right? And it's an odd phenomenon. Every Jew I speak to says, I don't get it. Do you know why? And no one gets it. It's so weird. And why the Jews? Yeah. And we try and look at this current framework where this whole white colonialist shame that we're trying to 
say sorry for because we feel personally shameful for our whiteness <laughs> and our privilege etc and then that gets plastered onto israel because it's seen incorrectly as this white colonizer which if you looked at its history it isn't a colonizer and they're not white right <laughs> every single color and they've been completely pushed out of everywhere in the middle east into this tiny little state that's the size of new jersey and are indigenous to the land etc cetera, etc cetera. Regardless, people want to hate. And it's very hard to have conversations about creating peace and about coming together and about unity when people have hitched themselves to the bandwagon of hate and destruction, right? And we are being asked to change what we're seeing here is the call to let go of greater and greater levels of irrelevancy. Things are being highlighted for deletion, the aspects of us that are no longer relevant. And when we see what is driving the aspects of us that are causing what is generating all of this outrage, the invitation is to look within, right? And see what is it inside of me that needs to be explored? Where am I doing that in my life? Because when people are lauding Hamas, a terrorist organization, which is the epitome of evil and have unfortunately been influenced by misinformation that they are some form of freedom fighters, ultimately what they're doing is they are ignoring their own evil <laughs> because that's the side that they are aligning themselves with. And this is not about a good side or a bad side. That is not about this. This is about the aspects of humanity that are being highlighted and that we are choosing to be a party to. And where we are being influenced and manipulated, and this is possible through ignorance. And I'm not only talking about the surface layer of the facts, ignorance of our very own selves when we've forgotten who and what we are, that we are all one thing. And when we have disconnected from that deep knowing, we see ourselves as separate. And when we see ourselves as separate, we experience fear. And fear is what's generating all of this. And when we can come to understand how we are becoming the agents of fear and hate, and we are taking our own wounds and shame and unexplored um, beliefs that are creating wars inside of ourselves, then we don't have peace inside and then we're not gonna generate peace outside. So what do you choose to be in the world? What is the wagon you choose to hitch yourself to? The wagon of hate and destruction and separateness or peace and unity and connection. And so the people that are getting to the streets and they're shouting in anger, they think what they're doing is they're shouting in favor of unity and peace because they're outraged. That's what they think that they're fighting for. But this is not the way. <laughs> and they're misinformed, unfortunately, and they're creating more separateness. They're creating more fear. They're creating more divisiveness. And they're actually perpetuating a narrative of an extremist ideology, yes. right? An ideology that has said unequivocally our mission is to wipe yes. israel off the map to eliminate all jews from the planet and all those who do not subscribe to sharia law so the scary We're thing everybody's next right yes everybody's next but the scary thing here is barbie that when you look at say for example who was killed on october 7th some of israel's most vocal peace workers working mm -hmm. to help the gazans and create yeah. bonds between Israelis and Palestinians, Arabs, Muslims, right? If you are somebody right now that is chanting for the, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, and you happen to be in Kibbutz Be'eri, or you happen to be at that Nova festival, oh, you would have suffered the same fate, honey. It doesn't matter what you're advocating for now, right? Hamas wasn't, isn't, interested in human rights and humanity or the palestinians or the, right no, i mean exactly, they, exactly but, but i think a lot of people don't know this that their whole infrastructure is underneath the the ground and so yeah. 
That's the thing. It's a very wicked way that Hamas is fighting. It hides itself among the civilian um, population, using its population as human shields, knowing full well that when they commit such atrocities as October 7th, and let's remember there was a ceasefire before October 7th, all of which there were four ceasefires, all of which Hamas broke and launched rockets indiscriminately at Israeli civilians. But let's not even get into this tit for tat. The, the tactics that they use is they prevent the Gazans from leaving their homes when Israel warns them that they will be striking that area and to move towards safety. Hamas prevents them from leaving because to them it serves their cause to have these civilian casualties because look at what happens to the world. It is horrendous what is happening to these Palestinians horrendous and this is what happens in war right in world war ii more germans died than the brits so what does that mean the germans were the good guys like mm, not quite sure but the hamas tactics that they use is to ratchet up public sympathy because now we have people taking to the streets in countries around the world Free palestine but we should be like right. violently killing yeah. people yeah. right there was a man who died in la a jewish man that was killed in la nobody knows his name right nobody is protesting the same way that when there are racially fueled attacks on yeah. the black community jews and minority groups and pe people that identify as white privileged people were all protesting against this racially charged attack. When it comes to the Jewish people, we don't see the same. When Jewish women are raped, all the women's rights groups are completely quiet. I mean, it's insane. Where are the women's groups? Right. And then the response is fake news. And But Hamas says, when you say Hamas says, it's like saying Hitler says. Hamas uses lies and obfuscation as part of its weaponry. And we're seeing people being influenced by it now. Yes. And it's scary. Yes, yes. I, I have to tell you, I, I I don't know if she's listening to my podcast. I, I really pray that she does. But I had a woman who was an avid listener of my podcast who started sending me propaganda about how horrible the Jews are and about Hamas. And, and I was just like, I don't understand. But someone that is educated, someone that I have considered so intelligent could be brainwashed mm -hmm. to think that what Hamas is doing is somehow in support of the Palestinian people. Yeah. It just, it escapes me. So where do we go from here mm. and back to I guess back to the work that you're doing because I mean we could go on all the day about this and I've been silent you haven't but I've been silent and one of the things that I've said is that the reason part of the reason why I'm silent is because it's so heavily present in my home I mean literally when we're not sleeping my husband is informing himself or fighting battles he's got this issue with this guy on YouTube who is pro Hamas and all this. And my husband's like taking him down. So it's just a lot. And so I have, I can only, I, I need to safeguard my own health, my own joy so that I can mm -hmm. hold space for my family and then also show up for work powerfully. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So yeah, this is why it's important to learn about nervous system regulation, to come out of that stress response and back into a place of capacity where you can function, where you can be of service. When you know how to hold space for yourself, yeah. have conversations with yourself around all of the stuff that's coming up for you, not make it bad, not make it go away, but to actually open and to listen. What is this feeling? First of all, it begins in the body like feelings are there to be felt and our body is always speaking to us if we know how to listen and we can first of all feel the feeling in the body so you may feel it as a churning in the stomach or a heaviness in the heart or sweatiness in the skin redness in the face a block in the throat a tension in the temples whatever it is then you can just identify that physical feeling okay i'm feeling this feeling and then you can start asking the question as to what is the emotion here, right? What is the emotion that's creating this feeling? And you might be able to identify it as sadness or anger or fear. And then we invite it in. 
right? If a child came up to you crying, you wouldn't say, go away, I don't got time for you. You would say, oh, honey, what's wrong? Come here, let me listen to you. What do you wanna say? And you would hold it with love and with care and you would just hold space for it. And you wouldn't try and teach the child a lesson in that moment, right? You would just listen. This isn't a time for teaching. It's just a time for listening, yeah, and holding. And then seeing as you create space for that emotion as what is an emotion energy in motion and when we allow that energy to continue to move through and be felt feelings are there to be felt feel it knowing that all it is a feeling yeah it's that physical feeling in your body and there may be a story along with it and just listen to it watching a movie with interest with curiosity you'll notice that when we do that by itself the emotion loses intensity, it starts to transmute, and it starts to change, it starts to become something else. And that's when the mind starts to open, the body starts to soften, and we start to move through courage of, I wonder what else might be in here, and what else is there as well as this? Yes, there might be some achiness and some sadness, but can I also detect some hope? Hmm. Yeah. Is there also possibility? Could there be something else as well as this and can i tune into that as well and can i then shift my focus there and enliven that and then what does this choose to tell me yeah and then when we're able to do that for ourselves, and that becomes more and more autom automatic and we can do that on the fly we get better at being able to do that for other people and the reason that oftentimes we tell children don't cry is because their tears make us feel uncomfortable because we haven't learned how to be with our feelings. So please don't do that because it's making me feel helpless. It's making me it feel hard for me and I can't feel, I can't deal with the hardness. So please, can you stop doing that? And yeah. most of us have gone through that, right? Like most of most of us were told, don't cry. My mom would say, don't cry, you look ugly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. You look ugly. I'm like, I'm looking ugly now. Oh my gosh, no, it's so beautiful. Like when I teach group cl classes, there's always someone that cries and then apologizes. And I'm like, why? You don't apologize when you laugh. That's just an energy. That's the flavor of the energy. Like it comes with information if you were just open to listening to it. And the more self-aware you come, the more self-knowledge become, the more self-knowledge you have, the more powerful you become. Information is power, right? And then we can use that to hold space for other people and our relationships improve. Our conversations start to become deeper. We find our way toward each other. We're mm -hmm. able to hold duality. We can say, okay, we disagree and that's actually all right, but we still experience love. And I don't feel that I need to bring violence into this, right? We can still sit here and hold space for both of our feelings and both of our views, right? And then choose how could we move to, towards something that feels beneficial for both of us? And this is why I've always seen the Israeli-Palestinian conflict as a metaphor for our lives as individuals in our homes, in our interpersonal relationships. I, I never know? thought about it that way. So, <laughs> yeah, no, it's so beautiful, but it's true. It's beautiful. And it's this is an invitation. So Tracy, I feel like you and I could be on for hours. You have so much to share and, and so much wisdom. And I actually started feeling more relaxed when you started talking about like energy moving through the body. I started feeling like little bubbles in my body. How can people work with you? How can, I'm going to put your information in the show notes so they can find you, but how can people work with you? What is available? Yeah. Beautiful. So there are a few kind of first steps, like entry level steps to working with me. The first, and I would say like the easiest, because you can just jump in right now, is I have this membership called Moksha, which means liberation in Sanskrit. And it's divided into, I've been already sharing content into it for the last five months. And we cover things like abundance and boundaries and self-soothing and self-care and emotional regulation and how to speak to ourselves. And there's guest masterclasses in there. So there's like breath work and there's sound healings and movement medicine and energy management. And right now we're talking about power, right? Mm -hmm. We're talking about bravery. We're talking about self-responsibility. We're talking about self-determination. We've been talking about creativity and healing, and it is really high vibes work. 
It is a frequency that you can tap into every day that allows you to borrow. If you are, I don't know how to move through this, you can, we are one, right? You can, you don't have to generate it by yourself. By tapping in, you listen, you borrow it, it lights something inside of you and off you go. And it shifts our perspectives out of the stuckness and the boxes that we're living in and it breaks open the box and allows you to be free. That's the first is the Moksha membership and it's a monthly membership. And the other is to to get in touch with me via my website or Instagram or my email, hello at tracyalexander.co. And we can begin by learning my alignment system, which is healing the body first and then moving into the mind because the mind can't update if the body believes a different story. So if the body is stuck in stress, we have very limited in our ways of showing up. We don't have access to our prefrontal cortex. So that's a four session program, which you can see all of the information on my website about that. But we learn about regulating through the breath, focus, judgment, using our thoughts in order to create a new identity for ourselves, because what we understand ourselves to be determines how we show up in the world. And we also learn ways of regulating the nervous system and mindfulness. And you can do this on, online? This is online. Yes. Yes. I would love to offer this to my mother-in-law, actually. So I'm, if you do this online, I absolutely yes. would love this. I mean, I would love that. I didn't know that. Okay. That's beautiful. Yes. Yes. And then Vedic meditation is an in-person course. So that's why I've been in the States and Mexico. I've been flying around teaching yes. in different cities and that's why I'll be going to Manchester. So if you want to learn Vedic meditation, we can just organize for me to come to where you live and teach a group of your loved ones or your workplace or whatever it is. This is a life changing technique. Mm -hmm. It is so effortless. Meditation does not need to be hard. Not everything worth having is hard earned. In fact, what we learn through practicing this meditation is that life can be effortless, right? Things can come to you if we know how to shift our frequency, if we change the space from which we're coming and showing up in life. And this technique is about transcending, moving beyond thought, removing stress from the physiology and allowing you to show up with greater capacity. So your sleep improves, your focus improves, your sense of overall well-being improves, your cognitive output improves. If you have digestive issues, fertility issues, immune dysfunction, because it is being affected by stress, right. this technique is for you. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. This has been such a gift thank Ugh. you really thank you so much i feel like i i i got to know you on such a, i we got to know you on such a deeper level and i highly recommend working with you i was in your membership for a little bit and it's i mean you're phenomenal you're just you're the real flipping deal so thank oh, you Bobby, thank yeah. you it's been such an honor to have this time to chat with you and i really appreciate just the opportunity to dive deeper yeah I can't wait till people, dis more people discover you and some of my listeners discover your magic. Thank you so much, Tracy. Angel.